There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to the show. Judges demanding 11% pay rise from Beep. Uh, Beep would give Shirley an extra £55,000. I think she's worth every penny. I really do, you know. Uh, strictly standoff. That's going on in today's paper. Also on the same page, on page seven of The Sun, Rylan has announced he's quitting It Takes Two. He says he just feels the time is right. It's nothing to do with the fact that Big Brother is coming back to ITV in the autumn <laughs> and he's hosting it because he said he's not hosting it. I think he might be hosting it. I think he probably is. I hope he is hosting it. Yeah, I, I hope he's hosting it because I know that, you know, um, you know, when you get anything older than young, right? So, like, you know... 30-something as opposed to 20-something or below, right, then you may not realise that anybody who's younger than you thinks you're old. But they do. They really do. And as you get even older, that's also the case, you know. When I was younger, listening to the radio uh, and breakfast show DJs on supposedly young uh, people's stations were over 30, thought, what is this old person doing hosting my Mm. breakfast? Things like that, you know. Um, However, I do think Ryland might buck that trend because I just think, but then again, I'm an old person, so maybe I'm wrong. Because I think he thought there was some pushback, maybe sort of, um, you know, uh, the beginning of Old Man's Paranoia, even though he's only still 30-something. Uh, he, he said, no, I think they want somebody younger. I think they want somebody younger. And I said, no, but you know, no, you appeal to everyone. But maybe I'm wrong and he's right. But I think I'm right and he might be wrong here. And I think he's going to get the gig. What do you think, Sinead? I think absolutely. Because I think the thing with Big Brother is um, it's not just like hosting a show and saying they're coming in, they're coming out. You've got to do those very intense post-eviction uh, interviews, which Davina and Emma Willis did so brilliantly. And they take um, a level of maturity and to also be able to knowledge do. of the show. And he loves yes, Big Brother. Exactly. Yeah. I think he loves Big Brother more than anybody else, including Endemol, who've made <laughs> hundreds of millions of pounds from Big Brother. He, I mean, they do say if you cut him open, he would bleed Big Brother. Mm. And I sort of believe that. I think. And also, I'm a, look. I'm a big fan. I love Ryan. I think he's great. And when he came in, he was already talking about how much he wanted to host it. Doesn't I mean you could just tell? Yeah, but also it what excited was him. what was also lovely about it was he said, like, "I really want to do it. They know I want to do it. I haven't heard anything from them. I'm probably not going to get the job, but I still want them to know I want want to mm. do it." Whereas some people, if they had an inkling that they weren't going to get the job, might sort of uh, you know push back themselves yeah. and say, "Well, I did. I'm probably not right for it. I didn't really want to do. It. I've had my time, you know." And he he, he began to say that, but. He, and then, then again, at the end, he said, however, even though I think that's all probably the case, I do want them to know I absolutely do want the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. And I, I think he'd sort of do it for free. It was one of those ones. So um, Rod Stewart, so Arnold Schwarzenegger's in the paper today, and he's in the paper today as the Terminator because he's had enough of potholes. They have potholes in Los Angeles as well, not just here, you know. Um, however, he went and, fill, he went and filled in the, the hole himself. He, I mean, he doesn't really, he's not really dressed for the job, but maybe that's, this is dressing down for him. He's got a very fancy casual leather jacket on. He's got some some, some cool boots, but they're sort of they're sort of like, you know, GQ would dress a workman. Yeah. Do you know that kind yeah. of thing? It's yeah. a very GQ pothole filler kind of outfit he's got yeah. on. Um but I like him. I like him. And you know what he he loves California like Rylan loves he loves America. <laughs> like Rylan loves Big Brother. Anyway, he's filling this in. Overnight we've learned that what, Sinead? Oh, he he filled in a, a pothole. But actually, it's... It's a working hole. hole. It's a, what do they call it? It's a working it? trough, isn't a it? A working trough, yeah. that's right. And they were going to fill it in, but probably not till the end of the month. So I they, can imagine that would have been annoying. So today they're going to have to dig it up again. Um, but it's hopefully it won't have set, so it'll be quite easy to do that, <laughs> you know. Um, however, Rod Stewart did similar here. Now, he did turn up looking... Ve- look, he had his high-vis on, he had his hoodie on. He looks like the real deal. Yes, he does. You know, and uh, he's got his shovel in hand. And the story goes here. The first hole is the... The first hole is the deepest. <laughs> Rod Stewart's pothole-filling campaign pays off as council promises him new road that won't damage his Ferrari. Um, I actually think he's got a Lamborghini at the moment. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, what do you know about this? 
Right, so Rod Stewart lives in Essex yes. and Essex has one of the worst problems uh, when it comes to potholes. I can say that because my parents live there, I grew up there and honestly, it's 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 really, really, really bad. isn't that what everybody it? thinks about where they live? Well, I don't know. I feel, I feel <laughs> yeah. like... Barnes is pretty bad. I yeah. feel like Essex Marlo's has got a bit not of, great. I feel like Essex <laughs> has got a bit of reputation for it. Anyway, I remember um, the road that we grew up on was just, honestly, it was, looked like it was post-war. It right. was so bad at times and they take ages to fill it up so um rod stewart was just like a local hero for going right do you know what if you're not going to do it essex county council i'll do it yeah. and i thought legend <laughs> they then invited him the council invited him to spend a day with its pothole patching crew um after it fixed potholes in in sir rod's road and i love this um, the fact that he complained, this is back in March, he complained that the road in Harlow was too damaged to drive his Ferrari on. Yeah, and he also done that to wind everybody yeah. up. And because he's Rod Stewart, he can sort of get away with it. Yes. Well, no, not sort of, he can completely yeah. get away with it. People love it. 13, unlucky for house prices. Superstitious buyers put off by number. Why is that? Because we're bonkers. I mean, I would be, though. Uh, if, well, my parents have just moved into a 13. Exactly, because it's you get you get it cheaper. Um, it helps with the negotiation. If your house number is 13, you could be £17,000 worse off when you sell up because of superstitious buyers. Hmm. Because we're mad. We're mad. But would you want to move into number 13? No. Yes, I my parents have. Hang, well, on great. hang on a minute. If I liked the house, yes. I would. Yes. If I didn't like the house, I wouldn't. Number 13. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't bother me, Mass. It does me a bit. Okay. There there are facts, right? Yes. And then there's drama, right? You live in a factless, drama-full <laughs> I know. world. It's but lovely here. No, and it's great. And I'm really pleased for you, but some of us don't. And it's and that's fine too. It's all fine. Factless. Yeah. yeah welcome to Factless with Vassus Alexander. Previously. I'd listen to that. <laughs> Excuse me. Daily Mirror front page. Stampede for boots, £25 Botox in a bottle. Here we go with this story. Uh, queue for Renew. 95,000 people waiting in virtual line to grab world's first beauty range from £25. You know about this? No, I've not heard of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hundreds of thousands of people clamoured for the new must-have beauty buy yesterday as a potion dubbed Botox in a jar went on sale. While the face... Freezing jabs cost upwards of £350. Boots number sevens, future renewed damage reversal skincare range starts at just under £25 for healthy complexions on a budget. Has anybody had and or want to talk about Botox? Anybody here had it? Anyone? No? Anyone? Okay. Some people have had it, don't want to talk about it. Is that right? Is that fair enough? Okay, I don't mind. Here's Tilly. I know people who've had okay. it. You've know, you, you know people who've had it? Yeah. All right, how much did it cost? Uh, you know. I didn't, well, I didn't know it cost 350 quid. <laughs> no, I don't think it does. It can cost anything. No, it helps with the story, doesn't it? 150, 120 for one area, <laughs> apparently. Have you? Have you? What? Have you had it? No, but I got I got I got accused of having it once. Uh, there was a particular photograph of me in a paper. I didn't know they alluded to the fact I may have had it on my forehead because I do have a spookily um, smooth forehead yes, for a fifty for you nearly sixty year old. It's yeah. really strange. I mean, below my eyebrows, disaster, <laughs> right? But above my eyebrows and where my hairline used to be, I do have a spookily um, a spookily smooth forehead. As do you, I have to say. Um, and this put me in mind of a number seven boots number seven this range every now and again comes up with a wonder thing doesn't it yeah what was the thing that they charged seven pounds for that everybody else was charging a million pounds for was it, there was a protect and something serum it, but it, it was wasn't it but I, I mean was it, I an remember, eye, was it an eye thing yeah it was an eye it was an under eye serum and I remember everyone like queuing up for it people getting their friends to queue up for it and all there was all this drama about it was it good good yes but it's not um it's not going to change no, it's not. your face. This put, but this also put me in mind of something that you know when you have sort of you have a, a sort of a whiff of a memory that you, you that may have been real or not. I remember a story that I think we talked about on this show about the non-surgical facelift. Do you remember that headline? And I thought that's interesting. And it's just about looking after yourself. And if you look after yourself enough and hydrate enough and get enough sleep, you actually look like you've had a facelift, but you haven't. And it's a non-surgical facelift, mm. which I think is interesting. Yeah. Yes, but also no excuse for those, by the way. <laughs> but it takes effort. It's but not also, cash; it's effort. 
But there's also there's sun damage is a real problem, yeah. and I think like a lot of us when we were younger mm. didn't look after our like didn't wear enough SPF and well, stuff like that, and we're desperate to get a tan, and that has caused wrinkles, frowning, being moody, like well, I was as a teenager. <laughs> what's interesting about that is that because I have fair skin, I had to always ha- I've always worn loads and loads and loads and loads of um, uh, sunblock. So maybe that's to maybe do with that's the it. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, another forehead here. More of a furry forehead. I love this story so much. I think this is hilarious. It, it, I think it it's absolutely hilarious. I think it's so funny. And again, this puts me in mind of a different story. First bit, part one. Whoever said Elon Musk was barking? Not us. However, he has made his dog the CEO of Twitter. And his dog, A, looks for all the world like Basil Brush. Oh. <laughs> like boom, boom. Uh, Twitter has a new top dog. I mean, just that, just that sentence. It's so forget fat cats. Top dogs is what it's all about. For according to Elon Musk, his pet uh, Shiba Inu Floki is now running the social media giant because he owns it. He can make anybody CEO, and he's made his dog the CEO of Twitter because that's how crazy titles can be. You know, he bought Twitter a few months ago now for forty odd million pounds they said it's worth a third of that he sort of acknowledged that that's the case uh, but it's undergoing this massive churn of analysis and investigation and there's this thing called the twitter files and you can learn about the twitter files he has opened the twitter files to any journalist who wants to delve into them so he has said look the things that were going on here before i bought it you he said you wouldn't believe it and many are now um surmising that that's the reason he bought twitter he bought Twitter because he think he believes in the town square and the modern global town square is social media and specifically Twitter when it's not at its most toxic. And he's trying to redress all that. But it's ta- it's going to take it's turning this tanker is it's a Titan S tanker, Titanic S tanker. And turning it around is a big deal. And he I think he knows what he's doing. Everybody said he didn't know what he's doing. Um, he's he's put out some crazy stories. What was the thing he said? He said it's all going to be over in oh, four yeah. years. Twitter, well, you know, we can do what we want to do, but it will be over in four years. <laughs> I think he's just stirring the pot, stirring the pot of intrigue. But he's opened these files called the Twitter files. And if any journalist wants to delve into what has gone on, he'll say, OK, what, what's the time code of the files you want, the emails? And he said, you can have anything you want, anything. This is fully transparent. And the things that are unearthing about what went on at Twitter between uh, various political factions and this uh, are absolutely 100% fascinating. Whoever said Elon Musk was barking, he's made his dog the CEO of Twitter. And part two of what I think about that in a bit. Or just, it's not what I think about it, it's just what is. Because I know, because I've read about these things, I've heard about these things, you know, and it's all, it's all completely and utterly fascinating. Grand National, Saturday. Yes, Saturday, quarter past five, yep. the, the final 40. I was, I was um, reading about this yesterday. Mm. Now, uh, us in Britain and um, you, Sinead, in, in Ireland, we are the only people who really like national hunt racing. Gen- I mean, the odd, the odd, there's the odd, like the Americans have the odd race over jumps, but generally, like Hong Kong, there's a huge racing scene and it's all flat racing over a little bit less than or a little bit more than a mile. And you say to us like racing fans around the world, we have the, the race. We have a race every year. And it and it used to stop the nation. I mean 16, 18 million people. And it's still holding up because seven, eight million people will watch on ITV one live and many more on like tablets and, and, and other devices. So it's it's still holding its audience. It fascinates us that it's a four and a bit mile, forty horse stampede over these massive Massive, like Christmas tree made um, jumps. It it just it sort of they they think you've sort of grown a different brain. Now that's not that's not horse racing. And I love the fact that it's so unique. I only I only I thought they all every country had a sort of grand national, but no, the race that stops the nation in Melbourne. That's just that's a flat race. We are the only people who love jump racing, and we love it. And it's and it's bonkers. It the grand national is putting a dog as CEO of Twitter. Okay, and the entry festival <laughs> is currently underway. It's today it starts. It yeah. starts today. And it's all, all right. on talk spot to our okay, sister station. Okay, excellent. All right, we have to talk about this next. Vassos Succession, the pyramids, Michael Jordan's trainers and AI all in one bit. Okay, they're all linked. Are you ready for this? So Vassos yesterday, he hadn't seen episode three of the finale, which is the series four of Succession. And I had just about 
when we came on the air yesterday, but I hadn't when we came on the air back from our holidays on Tuesday and some of the team hand, I said, please don't tell me what goes on. And then just from their expressions, I thought, no, don't do that expression because that's going to make me think certain things. Then I'd seen it. And yesterday I alluded to, to the fact I'd seen it. And I said, I still haven't seen it. And I said, oh, you were, you know, it, they were all right. You won't believe what happens. And I can't believe they didn't show it, the thing that happened. And I said, that's clever. That's so succession. That's an original thing to do. Mm. The most dramatic thing that could happen so far in your show that people are saying is the best TV show ever made. That, yeah, and it's a TV show. It's a visual thing to not show the thing. And then to announce it via some dialogue in a really understated fashion, which makes you catch yourself as a viewer thinking, did I just hear that right? Because I didn't see it. Did he just say what I thought he said? And you said, can I guess what it is? And I said, no, not on the air, because because it, that's not fair. It's, in a way, that's a spoiler, you know, because if mm-hmm. you get it right, I can't tell you, because then that would really be a spoiler. And if you get it wrong, it's the beginning of a deductive spoiler. Yeah. And so you said, can I guess off the air? And then you guessed off the air, and then I said, no, that's wrong. And you said 100% wrong, which was a strange backup question. But anyway, I said, no, it's just wrong. Um, And then you said, okay. And um, (laughs) now we can talk about it, because I didn't realise it was on the front page of the Daily Mail yesterday. They they didn't care. No, yeah, and yeah, a couple of other papers. It was all, all over Twitter, so I saw it before I saw it. So you read about it. You knew about it before you saw the show. Yeah, and I tried to do the thing where you like, I can't see right. that, I can't see that, I don't know, but okay. I know. Okay. It, by the way, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's still great anyway, even though that that's... So that happens. You know, it's episode three. There are seven more episodes to go. There are going to be more twists and turns. That's just one of them. I know, but I, I do I do get it in a way because it's like, you know, when people really, really love yeah, a show and, you know, they, they want to see that shock factor for the first time and it's only been out a couple of days. So I think, like, they could have given it a week. They couldn't have yeah, just not put it on the front page. What's interesting, though, about that is HBO's philosophy about how they broadcast Succession because it's not it's not available all episodes available it's a, it's an old fashioned every yeah. monday night sunday night monday morning thing and so what they're doing is they're going no 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 we, this is the old fashioned way you know you can, because after each episode is actually made available from a serial a serialized point of view uh, we call it a linear broadcast point of view every seven days then it is available forever but what they're saying is if you miss it on monday and people are talking about it on tuesday your fault and the the thing that what's really interesting about this i think is that we used to only have three channels you know the newspapers were, were re, you know read by millions and the, the 10 o'clock news was watched by 10 million the nine o'clock news was, millions and millions of people watched a few things because there are only a few things to watch and so therefore the water cooler moments were bigger and um, more sort of time uh, uh, crucial because on you couldn't even record things. So if you didn't watch it at 7.30 on a... You know, Dallas was the big one, who shot JR. Mm. If you didn't watch it at 8 o'clock on BBC One on a Thursday night, then you better cover your ears. Well, no point covering your ears because the only way you're going to find out what happened is people talking about it on the Friday morning because, you know, it was just about vhs but, you know. So, so what HBO is saying is you're, if you hear about it before watching it, your problem, that's what we're... we're doing it the old-fashioned way, which I really like. Yeah. I really, really like that. But you said, what did you say? You, your guess was? That Brian Cox dies. And I said? 100% wrong. No, I said no, and then you said 100%. Mm. Like, like cross-examining yeah. on a bit of TV <laughs> trivia. It's like, and I said, you said hundo is what you said. Yeah. And I said hundo. Yeah. And I was right. I was telling the truth, because Brian Cox didn't die. His character died. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Logan Roy died. <laughs> Brian Cox, as far as I'm aware, is still alive and kicking. Thank goodness. Why well, did you? Why did you cross-examine? Me? Why did you say hundred? Had you seen the front page of the Daily no, Mail? No, I so, hadn't. So why did you say? That? I don't because the way you were saying that the biggest thing that could happen that they didn't show. Yeah. I was two episodes behind. I'm now one episode behind. So that's, this is how I found out, by the way, <laughs> that, that Logan Roy's died. But wow, so they kill off Logan Roy in episode three. Yes. That's extraordinary. And you, and you don't see it. Tom just phones up and says, oh, I think he's dead. And you go, what? what, 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 what? Um, it's a bit more than that, but it's not much more. It's a lot less than you think it would be. Anyway, so, so how does that get us to the pyramids, right? So yesterday we talked about the pyramids, right? <laughs> And we talked about the fact we can't believe that we can't understand, we can't understand how the pyramids were built. Why? Because we're so 
so much cleverer than anybody else who's ever been before us because that's that, that's what that means isn't it and if you think about succession and you know how how come it's so clever because they've been writing it for four, four to five years so they speak the language they invented the language and now the language is telling them and the characters telling them what to write down because that's what great characters do they tell the writers what they want to do yeah. next and how they want to say it and who they want to be with no wonder we can't figure out what's going to happen in succession next and the fact that logan roy dies on a plane slightly off camera um <laughs> you know <laughs> by the way this is spoiling for me. i'm sorry there's seven more episodes to go and it's on the front page of the i've given you 24 hours more than the daily mail gave you yeah, right? exactly <laughs> and so that gets us to the pyramids and you know how it's like getting somebody from from Ancient times, whenever the pyramids were built, which is about 2,000 years ago, wasn't it? Something like that. Or I think it's something like that. Uh, or 1,000 years ago. Can't remember. Um, great pyramids were built when? Let's just clear that up. I think it was, I think it's 900 years ago, isn't it? Or something? No, no. 5,000. 5,000 years ago. Sorry. Um, it's like getting somebody from them and somehow getting them here now and showing them a smartphone, a mobile phone and saying, figure out. No, it's like, here we go. Let's get the cleverest person from 5,000 years ago, maybe the person who was in charge of engineering and the architecture and the construction of the most sophisticated of the pyramids, showing them a smartphone and say, figure out how that's done. <laughs> and they, they would never be able to do it, ever. So what I love about the pyramids is the fact that we will never, how we will never be able to figure it out because it's, it, and yet, then you can say to that person, Oh, by the way, um, the time machine's still... Uh, we've, we've not turned the engine off. Go back and get 100 of your cleverest mates. And all you give them is the phone. That's it. Mm. The sealed phone. You won't buy one. Buy, buy a new one from, from the Apple store. You figure out... And they go, there. my point. We have no idea how you did that. Yeah. <laughs> because it takes... It takes all of our window of existence as a species in our time, you know, not, not the Egyptian time, in our time, to get to that point like writing succession, yeah. right? So what's the point of the pyramids? Well, what have the pyramids got over the iPhone? Here's what the pyramids have got over the iPhone, in my humble opinion. Not only are we are we audaciously presuming that we should ever be able to figure out how the pyramids were made, right? We never will be able to because of what I've just said, but also because they were cleverer than us. And here's why they were actually cleverer, not as clever, cleverer than us. Because what they've done is they've left these everlasting, you know, within reason, monuments to their time that can be seen from the moon, right? You can't see an Apple, for an iPhone from the moon. There's going to be no trace of us when we go. They're, they're, the, the pyramids are testament to their existence forever, and they reflect Orion's belt in the universe. And what they're saying to the universe is, we... we we see you, we hear you, we honour you, we appreciate you. This is what you look like. If you if you are up there, because you can't see who you are from where you are, mm. this is what you look like. And it's a bow to the universe. How great is that? Oh, my goodness. How amazing. Oh, you How were busy are... thinking things through yesterday, no, no, you? No, 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 it's all, no. And then we get to Michael Jordan's trainers and AI, right? <laughs> so... Michael Jordan, you know, is a, is a, is a, almost a, a beyond human. Um, uh, he's, he's almost be, he's as beyond human as someone can mm. be and still be human. And there are others. There are many, many others. But he's a special, special gift to the human race. Here's how great you can be at being human. That kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So his sneakers sell for two point two million dollars, one point eight million pounds, the other day, right? And we had the conversation about it yesterday. Okay. Right. Why why has somebody paid that much money for his trainers, right? His base, base uh, basketball boots. Because they know they were Michael Jordans, right? Right now, and I don't know where it's going, and Elon Musk says different, and he knows more about this than I do, but right now, the reason we don't need to fear AI right now is because AI would never buy a pair of Michael Jordans basketball boots for 2.2 million dollars because it will never know that they were michael jordan's it's that deep knowing mm. you know we know as there's something about us we want to go and see mick jagger at the age of 160 still doing his hits and when we go there we know that's mick jagger so you can go and see somebody 
uh, in a Rolling Stones tribute band who's like 35, you know, a beautiful, bright young thing, you know, as good as Mick Jagger, but it's not Mick Jagger. And AI doesn't know stuff. You know, it has it has data and it has algorithms that can give it binary um, uh, uh, avenues to go down to reason things out. Yeah. But it doesn't know things. It doesn't know that it knows. It doesn't know that it's aware. However, there was also some breaking news over the weekend that AI can now invent better versions of itself, which we probably do need to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to stick with the first bit. Yeah. <laughs> If that's okay. AI can invent better versions of itself. Now it is inventing. Ah! <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> Turn it off. It's take it off, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, shake it off. <laughs> Turn it off. Turn it off. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Fast is over to you. Here is a fact. All of our lives would be a bit less joyful with a lot less laughter if it weren't for our next guest and his various antics. He's now heading back to London's West End with his smash hit musical We Will Rock You for a 12-week summer treat. So please welcome the blimmin' brilliant Ben Elton! All right, Ben, welcome back. Bienvenue, my friend. All right, Chris, thank you. And what a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. It warms the cockles of my heart and the heart of my cockles. So much to talk about. Um, We could talk about Australia, talk about uh, you and Rob Brydon, another one of my favourite, most favourite funny people in the world, hooking up together in Oz just a couple of days ago. Um, We could talk about generally things that are going on. Elon Musk, I'd love to hear your hot take on just him as a human being and making his dog CEO of Twitter. Oh, my um, goodness. Which has happened over the weekend, it would seem. But let's start with We Will Rock You. So, We Will Rock You, the musical. Um, When did this first sort of... uh, was? Where did this whisper in your ear and your brain come from as far as the universe is concerned? You thought, yeah, this could work, this could happen. Tell us, Take us back to the beginnings of it. It was an epiphany, Chris. It was a moment of revelation. Uh, I'd been approached... I mean, gosh, this is a sentence I still find, you know, worthy of pinching myself. I'd been approached by Queen to consider uh, creating a theatrical vehicle uh, as a, for their greatest hits. Now, that is obviously about as big a dream as any writer could possibly have, particularly one born in 1959. I mean, I was 16 when when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was number one for nine weeks. I'd just left home. The Queen meant they were like a... I was in a lonely bedsit. Queen with this just this voice of strange wonderment, you know, this fabulous, joyful thing that exploded. I mean, you'll remember it. 1973, four, then five, there was Bohemian Rhapsody. Killer Queen was 74. I mean, it was an amazing thing when they emerged, when, when, when you didn't know Queen. I mean, it seems an impossible universe to think. There was a time when we weren't all aware of them, but there was, and I lived through it. Anyway, they asked me... And I was actually, believe it or not, I was busy. I was shooting, I was making my own feature film about uh, my my wife and my troubles with infertility, starring Hugh Laurie, maybe Baby. And I was also writing a musical with Andrew Lloyd Webber, so I was quite busy. This was 1999. And I said, God, this is the most amazing thing ever, but I I, I don't know if I can help right now. And they said, oh, you know, we can wait. That's right. You know, let's just see if anything occurs. They wanted a biography. They were thinking do something about Freddie, and I, I... Maybe I was wrong, but, you know, I said, I don't think that's the way to go. It should be, we all own Queen. Freddie's, Queen all wrote the music, all four of them. They're the only band ever where all four members individually wrote number ones. Even the Beatles didn't. Poor old Ringo didn't quite get one. So, you know, I said, you know, it should be for us. It's not really Freddie's story. It's our story. We all share the Queen story. But it should be a legend. That's what I said. They, oh, that's interesting. I said, it should be something grandiose, almost Arthurian. And they said, oh, that's good. But I didn't have the idea. Anyway, a year later, 
I was pushing my kids in Regent's Park with a double pram, twins, and the whole thing fell into my veins. It was all the time around the time of the Matrix, and I was thinking of a sort of Arthurian Matrix where computers control music, but and and it's so centralised and so so much a corporate thing that even musical instruments have been banned, and but one guitar remains buried in rock, and a true kid will draw it from the stone. And I ran, I ran round the Queen as one does, and said, "I've had this idea," and and they loved it, and and that that was we will rock you. And that was long before iPhones and streaming. I mean, the whole thing was I wrote this pitch. I said, all entertainment is streamed to small personal devices. People are locked in. There's no society anymore. Everyone's locked into looking at a little screen that they carry around in their hand. I wrote that in 1999, and I'm, I'm saying that to boast because I'm quite very proud of that. <laughs> and that was all about a world where entertainment is streamed directly to the individuals, and so people get kind of caught up in it, and they forget about live rock and roll, and they forget about getting out and about. And uh, that's what the show's about. We've talked to other writers about similar things before, you know, about the fact that authors often end up being prescient. Sometimes, like, on the money, their their novel comes out that was written two years before about something that happens to have just broken on the news the week of the... The public, the the release of the book, and I, you know, I've often said, do you have crystal balls? You know, are, are you from another <laughs> yeah, land? I sit down very carefully. No, but you know what I mean. And <laughs> um, what most of them reply is no, but we do recognise patterns. Yeah. You know, and if you're looking at science and you're trying to pl- prove a theory, or you're looking at the weather and you want to forecast it, mm. it's patterns that you look for. Is that what? Do you agree well, with I that? Well, I don't know. I, I think I do it instinctively, but certainly all dystopian visions are actually about the time they're written. I mean, the most famous and for me the greatest of all is 1984 uh, Orwell's extraordinary vision of a, of, of, a, of a future world and he was really he wanted to call it 1948 which was the year it was written because he was talking about the Sovietization, what was happening in the Soviet Union the world had just come through the Nazi horrors and he was writing about this world where where where, where political strong men uh, were you know, etc 1984 and so he was writing about the present and that's what dystopian visions are so when authors appear to be oh my you know Emma Thompson was very kind he said, oh, you're, oh, you're a prophet, Ben. I, you know, ever since Stark, my first novel, you, you seem to say be... You're in profit, Ben. You're in profit, yes. <laughs> Finally, you're in profit, Ben. I am, I am certainly in profit. But, you know, not... not no, well, it's all right. Uh, and uh, I, I... But really, it's about looking around you and, and, and then having a little, you know, think about it and, and sort of extrapolating slightly. And certainly, because I... I've always been interested in current affairs and politics, and I tend to write. I don't sort of write from within. I don't write about myself, you know, sort of lonely personal. Not, you know, I don't. I write about the big stuff. I like. I like, and that's what my stand-up routines are about, and my novels. And indeed, we will rock you. We will rock you. Has is a dystopian vision. It's a fun one. It's a great big, you know, glorious joke, but. It is a dystopian vision of a world in which rock and roll is is entirely contained within corporate machines, and they control it and give you what they want to give you and keep from you what they don't want to want what they wish to keep from you. And that, in a way, is sort of coming true in a way because you know with Spotify and Apple and etc. I'm mean, not saying it's all bad, but there is a problem in that you know musicians can't even afford to 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 gig because their music's for free. It's immediately captured by the computer. Anybody can have it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a strange. My wife's a bass player. It's a strange time for musicians. You know? Yeah, when you talk about writing about the big stuff, because if if you if you if you look in at a tanker, you know the the um, the vector a tanker, the course a tanker is taking, mm. because it's bigger and it's it's obviously more likely to go where it's heading. Is it easier, therefore, to get things right uh, in a future tense for, from the present than it would be for say a, a nippier kind of speedboat kind of. Topic. I, I don't. I, as a, I can only speak for myself as a writer, but I never plan to get anything right or wrong. I never plan to, you know, be a smart aleck or, or tell anybody what they need to know. I plan purely to express myself. The stuff that interests me is what I'm interested in writing about, and I guess that is why I sometimes write stuff which is about what's going on. Yeah. Um, but it has it, a natural momentum, and it almost has to go where it's set yeah, off. Yeah. There is a. If you are, you know, be society's where I live. I write about it because it's it's my it's my play. You know, sometimes I get nice compliments about. As I mentioned, my first novel, Stark, which was about an environmental crisis that was so bad that all the rich people that had caused it by profiting on exploiting the planet decided to leave in a star arc <laughs> and live in space. And and since the whole Branson Musk you were mentioned, the yeah, whole yeah. rich men in rockets, the great big dicks in space yeah. thing has happened. A lot of people have been twittering about. Oh, Ben Elton Stark was twenty five years ago. You know. 
about how how prescient how but you know of course the environmental crisis was very real then and if you were young I remember doing Greenpeace benefits with madness in the middle 80s it's not a new thing this crisis and we could all see it coming what was fun was my idea that the rich the, the people who profited most and we all we all exploit the environment nobody can pretend that there's anyone unless you're a monk on a on a mountaintop you know um, you know grazing um, but you know there are some who who willfully and profitable profitably uh, uh, um, exploit the planet and and I had this vision of them basically thinking well it's all it's all it's all ruined we'll leave and, oh. and now you've got literally you've got rich men in space uh, yeah. yeah having a go and uh, the more sensible people um, who have their feet on the ground literally mm. still more than uh, the men who want the space boots on rather mm. are saying you've got more chance in Alaska it's a lot closer for a start and there's oxygen so yeah. why, don't you, why don't you have a go at that there, yeah perhaps, exactly for example <laughs> uh, so we will rock you is back 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 we will rock you returns to the london coliseum this summer we will rock you london.co.uk it's booking now it's a limited run for now but you've decided to jump on that stage ben it's a, fun, it's a <laughs> funny thing will you stop it now? i can't well look talk about dreams come true i got the right the queen musical and now i get the because i sing a song i sing roger taylor's beautiful days of our lives that's the you know the part is pop the rebel leader originally played by nigel planer you know remember neil from the yeah, young ones he he created it but i directed it i've directed we will rock you all over the world and it just came up it's really sort of brian and roger were really enthusiastic they said you know we've seen because they've seen me do auditions where i'm taking people through it and saying i'll oh, do it like this do it like that and they said, well, why don't you do it? And I thought, do I want to spend three months doing the same thing, eight shows a week? Well, I do that on stand-up tours anyway. Yeah, it's a wonder. I'm so excited now. At first, I was nervous. I mean, I'm still nervous about the song. I mean, I, I can hold a tune. I so said, my wife's a musician. She's, she said, you, you can sing it, you know, don't over-sing it, don't try too hard. But it's a huge responsibility. Uh, but Roger's promised to work with me on it. So, God, I couldn't couldn't do work better than that. So, know? well done on the song. Um, yeah. Congratulations and just uh, hats off for taking <laughs> it on. How much other stage time do you get as your character? Oh, lots. I mean, right. Pop is one of the comic spies. Really the co him and the character of Scaramouche, the rebel girl, are the, really the comic spine of the piece. I mean, it is a, it's a comedy. I mean, it's a full-on comedy with lots of laughs. I've seen it. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I, I think I can get those so I wrote them and I've rehearsed them many times. And as you know, I always, I, I we've talked about this before, I always rewrite the show a little bit, a few sort of topical jokes and a little, little bit of politics occasionally, you know. So the fact that I'll be there on the ground, you know, is very exciting for me. The Coliseum is obviously, it's 2,600-seat theatre. It's a massive, fabulous opera house. It's historical music venue. Freddie sang there, Queen have recorded there. It's it's an extraordinary opportunity and I've, I have decided... Blimey, you're YOLO, as they say, as young people say, I believe. I've stuck myself right in the middle of it. And, I, and I, as I say, it's it's my job to really get a lot of laughs, and I can tell you I'm going to get them. Yes, uh, YOLO is somewhere in between FOMO and JOMO, isn't it? <laughs> that I don't know. I do know it means you only live once. Okay. And, and that's what my wife said. She said, well, we'll do it. You know, you're six, I'll be 64 next month. I'll be. That's a rock and roll year, isn't yes, it? Paul McCartney immortalised that one. Uh, uh, but that's a nice rock and roll year, unlike, unlike 27, where they all seem to die. FOMO uh, <laughs> is the fear of missing out. Yeah. Jomo is the joy of missing out ah. as you get older, but YOLO, I think, is the. Is is, the you only live once, oh, you know. Oh, it's I'm a. Happy with that. Oh, I love it, and uh, I'm really excited about it. But I'm excited about the whole production. We've got Brenda Evans back as the Killer Queen. She did two years at the Dominion with her, her voices. Insane, but because she also great comedy. She she plays the killer queen. Got a newbie to the show. We've got Lee Meads as Khashoggi, the yeah. evil the evil villain, and uh, I'm very excited. I loved him in Joseph. I saw him in uh, when he when he burst on the scene after Any Dream Will Do. So it's going to be a really special production. We've got a great new cast, fabulous ensemble. You know, lots and lots of beautiful young people doing the doing the ensemble work and playing the Bohemians and the Gaga kids and the and the killer queen's evil minions. It's a, it's a fun show and. It, it will be a big fun show at the Coliseum. It's a fun show, and it's also fun because um, we always have this chat when we talk about We Will Rock You, you know, the day after the opening night, uh, the evening before, those poison pens are out, the critics are out, they tried to close it, didn't happen. Um, they will review this again because that's what they do when a show comes mm. back and reviews, uh, when a show comes back, the, the reviews are in as if it had never happened before. Yeah. So that will happen again. <laughs> yeah. They were laughing Scary. then. They're not laughing now. Well, The audience are, thank heaven. 
Kevin. Um, I wonder what's, how that's going to play. Well, look, I'm going to be the same people because it was 22 years ago, 21 years ago, 2002. So not all the same critics Some are will. around. Some, Some will. will. Yeah, it was really horrible. It was a terribly sad morning. I mean, uh, people were announcing its closure. The one critic said I should be shot. I mean, I don't know why, but just good fun sometimes seems to irritate. But... Yeah, it soon turned round, and the audience, you know, it, it was about... Everyone thought they were going to be out of work next week. How many countries has it been successful in? All of them, as far as I know. 191, <laughs> I is don't it? Know. A lot of co- I've directed it in, personally, Germany, Canada, the USA, uh, Sweden, Norway. I've directed, obviously, in London. I can't remember how many places. Uh, Spain. Uh, it's a, it's an exciting, massive part of my life, the greatest privilege. Can you imagine, as I said at the beginning, what what somebody was, who was 15, 16 years old in 1975 when Bow Rap first happened, Bohemian Raps, would be, oh, Bow Rap, you know, we call it Bow Rap in, the, in, the, in, the, in our show. Uh, and for me, it remains a great privilege, a great honour and an enormous responsibility, and that's why I keep on directing it, because the comedy is hard, and to get people who can sing those incredible songs, 24 of Queen's Greatest Hits, but can also get the laughs that takes some work and I've worked on a lot of companies over the many years and Brian and Roger work with every musician that's ever played in We Will Rock You has worked with Brian and Roger we take we take personal care of this show and have always done so and we were having dinner last night discussing how how we're going to do it at the Coliseum and uh, you know it remains a labour of love and I think that's why people love it 17 million people have seen We Will mm. Rock You the musical in 28 different territories now let's get Stig in Stig Abel's got his opening, um, his debut novel out it's out today big fan of yours oh my one of the God. cleverest men in the building he hosts Goodness the Times gracious. radio breakfast show he, he runs the station he helped found it he's done lots of other great things before um, he's an accomplished um, non-fiction writer uh, he's a historian. He's also extraordinarily fit. He looks like a superhero. He gets on my nerves. <laughs> mm. He's a really ha- great husband. He's a fantastic dad. He's oh, a, an, an amazing co-worker. Seriously, it's ridiculous. Uh, when you hug him, you feel safer. That kind of stuff. Oh, nice. Well, um, I'll make sure I get a hug before I leave. <laughs> you must. I've you been must. feeling a little vulnerable ever since <laughs> the news broke that I've got to sing a Queen song live right. in front of Queen. OK. Um, briefly, before we move on, what else do I need to talk to you about? Uh, actually, let's just let's just dive in straight away. Um, Stig, you have a book out today. You've read all Ben's books. I have. Um, wow. Ha- let's, let's have that little... Fabulous. You've never done this, what he's done before loads of times until today. Yeah, so. also, I, I, you mentioned Stark. And I was saying to Chris... When we, we, we spoke earlier on about um, books because Chris doesn't read that much fiction, but he has read your oh, fiction, I've read all your books. which oh. is interesting. And now he's read my my first one, um, Death Under Little which Sky, which, which comes out today. But I was saying that when I was growing up, there's a fine amount of books that I'm exactly the right age where I was pre-technology, no Amazon, nothing like that. So there was just a small number of books around. Mm. And I remember, I remember reading Stark really, really clearly. I remember This Other Eden, which is the... I love... I think I, I, This Other Eden is slightly less famous than Stark. Ben. Yeah, right? it was... I did three kind of eco books. So yeah. it was Stark, the first one. Then it was Gridlock, which was yep. kind of about cars and the, and, the, and, the, and the paralyzing of cities. And the two heroes, one of them was in a wheelchair and the other one had cerebral palsy. And, and they had skills, mobility skills, that allowed them, in a world that was locked by petrol, allowed them to kind of chase the villains. And then, then there was This Other Eden, where with the claustrospheres and the idea yeah. again that idea of, of people who are rich enough escaping the Armageddon they've they've created and 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 creating the, was when the Ark first came out the idea of building these sort of mini worlds inside great glass domes which would be unpolluted and yeah I'm so glad you remember that this other reading check it out it was, it, it's only and also it old. is you were saying how sort of prescient it all is but I, I remember interviewing someone six months ago who was helping these billionaires and he was a sort of uh, tech expert mm. and he he got flown by these shadowy group of billionaires mm. uh, to some undisclosed location. They sat with him and said, okay, what do we need to construct in order to, to survive the next apocalypse? Whether it's a nuclear one, whether it's a climate change one, whether it's a covid one, or just an uprising of the poor proles who haven't got any money. Oh my God, they really are playing. They really are doing it. <laughs> and this guy was flown there and said, how do you set up what amounts to these arcs? Where are you going to live somewhere? Where will it be? You mentioned Alaska. It could be somewhere a bit wild. And they set up these things and how they survive, what they'll do with, with for oxygen, what will they do for security, how they'll lock themselves out from a world. So that rather is- than pursuing, using their money and ingenuity to pursue renewables and save this beautiful planet, they want to just sort of let it die but make a tiny little one for themselves. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's really very sad. And it's actually happening. Yeah, and and when that, I, when was, I, when that was this other Eden. And yeah, I, yeah. I spoke to the guy who's, who'd done it. I was like, 
yeah. oh yeah, there was a novel I read when I was uh, <laughs> I was eleven yeah. that actually talked about this, and and it probably I mean there are people with enormous amounts of money who are doing their very best as well, but I fear. There are those who aren't, and you've obviously got someone who's met them. You know, I mean, it's and, it's, like, and I think it, and you, know, you talked about the the spacecrafts and the great phallic symbols being sort of yeah. sent out by you know, middle, it's, it's a classic midlife crisis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. Everyone doing it is a man of a certain I mean, age. Our level a level of wealth, we might buy a Harley, yeah. but at, at Musk's yeah. level, you buy a space rocket. You know, well, you, like, you, invent, you build a space rocket, and yeah, a space yeah, yeah, build one. Yeah. And uh, let's be honest, it is a giant willy shaped space rocket. It actually rocket. is. I mean, it, rockets are, but they made it even more so by putting the gonads on. Yeah, yeah. It was quite extraordinary. Astonishing. I think that was for balance. Yeah. For re-entry. Mine, funny, mine aren't balanced. I, I thought they weren't. Mine, I thought mine is slightly just lower than distended oh, no. now. Yeah, yeah, just no. the one. I'd kill for just you the could, one. You, you I wish I'd never mentioned use mine as a plumb line. Yeah. Let me tell you. I wish I'd never mentioned it. I love the fact that they're all so safe. Old so, man's balls Not a launch pad, more of a paunch pad. Yeah. <laughs> Give me 10 years, maybe. I'm only 43. I can, I've, like, let, me, right. let, me dream, let me dream for another I'm 10 years. Another reason not to like him. Oh, for God's sake. I'm going to read your book. I'll tell you now. Not, it's go. not half bad. I got death it's under a little sky. I like the title. It's a got lot. some great endorsements. Yeah. You know, my little my little eleven year old came up with. So I was trying to come up with this place. It's not that divorced from some of the stuff you've written, Ben. It's a, he goes oh, yeah. to this. Really, really. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, co- <laughs> I'm not copied. It. I'm only kidding. Yeah, he goes to a, he goes to an isolated place, and my son, who's eleven, some came up with the phrase "little sky" and the idea oh. of sort of somewhere sort of quiet, away from everything, and that's where that's, that's very that, sweet. That oh from. well, I'm genuine. I don't I don't read a lot of novels, but I'm going to read this one. I tend to read history. You can read it backstage, can't you? I can because you in, have to get there I've got early my own and all this. Oh, but I, I I'm the I'm the director. I've already been naughty. I've I've written myself out of two of the dance numbers already because I've got executive. Pre- I've, I've created tea breaks throughout the whole show. That's all I'm doing all I'm doing all the comedy. Indeed, I've written myself a couple of new lines. But when it comes to <laughs> doing the donkey work of being in all all the because all everybody sings in We Will Rock You. I mean, they're all backstage doing the backing vocals the whole time. When you don't see them on stage, believe me, they're backstage still doing the BVs. But I won't be. <laughs> I'll be having a cup of tea. The hot potato at the moment, you know. To do mm. with musicals in in Britain mm. is this arrest, audience audience no. participation. Yeah, yeah. So they had to stop a show last week. The police were brought in. Oh, no, it's, um, it's, it's it's Whitney really... Houston, the bodyguard thing. Absolutely. We I did, on the last We Will Rock You tour. I did an announcement, a recorded. Obviously, I wasn't there every night, but I did a thing about you know, like you know, at the end. But I did a little joke. You know, there's there's 24 of the best voices you know in the country on stage and basically they're better at it than you so let people let them get on with their but job that's the way to say it yeah. isn't it uh, you know and people haven't paid to hear the person next to you hasn't paid a, a very overpriced ticket to, in order to hear you murder 24 of Queen's greatest hits so we did I had a laugh with it but no bad beha- bad audience behaviour it's a, it is a problem because it's a, it's a lack of respect I mean it's not respecting the performers but also not respecting the the audience. I mean, people make a huge sacrifice to come to the theatre. It's expensive. I mean, our show, it you've got to sell 90% of the tickets to break even. We yeah. put a lot of value on stage, well, you know, and, and, and people have to pay a lot to get a ticket and then they don't want it ruined by half a dozen drunks. I'm interested, you're a Shakespeare expert, Ben. What, what about the argument that in Shakespeare's time, the audience was awfully behaved and it was up to the actors to, to shut them up by being brilliant and therefore... Well, we don't actually know that because we weren't there. And all, all I can say is I think it would be... Ex- if you look at Hamlet or King Lear... I can't imagine that that was going that that was possible to do with a bunch of of no, heckling yeah, groundlings. Just... I mean, those speeches are in fantastically complicated. I don't buy the idea that uh, it's like with stand-up comedy. I'm a I'm a comedian, has done a lot of comedy over the years. I've got a really carefully thought-out routine. I've spent years writing the, yeah. my material, and of course, if somebody, if a genius happens to come up one day and 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 manage to entertain the audience better than I can, then I suppose possibly you could argue he or she's got the right to interrupt the show that people have paid to see. But that's never happened. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Almost all heckling is, is is yobbishly thunderous nothingness. It's just oh, oh, et cetera, et cetera. And look, you know, this idea. Of course, there there is an there is a world where. Barracky, you know, singing at a football game or going to a sing-along show. Or if the comic is known as somebody who thrives on that kind of banter, well, fabulous. But if you go and see... I mean, Jennifer Saunders and, and Dawn French never used to play the comedy store in the early days because it was full of drunks and it was horrible and it was always get your knockers out every time they walked on stage. That's not wit. That's no. not banter. It's not a contribution. It's 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 bullying... No, uh, it's most. It's trauma, isn't it? You know, come on. Uh, uh, I don't. I, I know, Stig, you were being a devil's advocate, but yeah. two arguments. A, 
ruining a show just in order to see if somebody can deal with it yeah. is it's not is it's not a spectator sport stand up comedy it's an intellectual you know you've got stuff to say you don't you don't go and pay it's to craft. see it's a craft yeah putting a heckle down it's kind of it's a thing and everyone's done it i've done it many times but you, god it gets boring after a very short period but much more importantly your shakespeare idea can you imagine hamlet getting by with people not listening no people listened i can assure you of that happy with that yeah, I, I think that's totally... I'm just interested because that, that's good the questions, argument, isn't it, that people answers. always say. But. Yeah, and as I say, there there are there's some shows where... No, sing along a show, fine. Yeah, exactly. Musical theatre, different. Yeah, I mean, people at the end, you know, let's, all right, let's have a sing along. Everyone knows at the end, you know, yeah, you go and minutes. see Mamma Mia, you yeah. love the show, you enjoy the romance, the fabulous professionals, my friend Maz Murray, who played the Killer Queens, currently playing the lead in, in, in Mamma Mia in London. And then at the end, everyone get up and dance and sing, but not while the show... Also, we're all on. very British, when you, when you a show and someone's misbehaving. Yeah, we don't I just think. sit there. I know. You just sit there, and then th- that's the your problem Some as well. We poor just put, usher who wants it. to be an actor or an actress or a whatever you know non-binary person on a stage themselves, and uh, you know they've got some kid who sells ice creams who's got to go and deal with some drunk. Show okay, off. Let's, okay, it's getting a bit times radio this now. Yes. So, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. So, no, it's good for a bit, but <laughs> yeah. then I'm thinking, no, it's yeah, not what we do. Right. It's not what we do. You got me on a sorry. subject that um, I feel strongly Lovely about. pic of you uh, on Rob Brydon's Instagram. Ben yeah. Elton, April 2nd in Australia. I love Rob. He's coming to Carfest. He actually basically runs Carfest now nice. with us. Uh, you're threatening to come still. Um, lovely pic that, though. He's we looking... had a lovely lunch. It was like a warm bath. When, you, a... when you have lunch with Rob oh, Brydon, just listening to him, it's like a lovely warm bath. His voice is so mellow. Yeah, he, he, he looks a bit Benedict Cumberbatch. He there. does, doesn't he? Don't you think oh, so? he's very my wife fancies him. He's he's definitely a you know he's got to calm down. He's a milf's delight. There's no question about <laughs> that. It's him and Sting um, Abel. What's the, what's the point in us? Yeah, I know. I mean, everyone's <laughs> looking at him, not me. No, he played Perth. I went and saw his wonderful show. There's another example. He sings along, and of course, he has a little bit of banter with the audience. But he's just wonderful, and everyone feels uplifted just being in his presence. I agree. He's like that, and you know. he does things for us for charity all the time. He joins in. He puts himself up for lunches. And he gives great lunch, and he's there from the minute he arrives to the minute he leaves. You know what I mean? He's there. Yeah. And he says, look, I'll tell you some stories. What do you want to know? He's interested in them. If, if ever there's a lag, he'll do his Ronnie oh, Corbett. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> there won't be a split second between a pause and his Ronnie Corbett. It, <laughs> I, I, was, uh, right, I can't do it. No, you can't do it. <laughs> no. uh, thanks for confirming that. All right. <laughs> ben Elton will rock you with his pals with We Will Rock You. Returning to the London Coliseum this summer, wewillrockyoulondon.co.uk, booking now and Stig's book Death Under Little Sky is out D- Death Under a Little Sky is out today as well thanks for listening thanks for the for the loan of your ears ta-da even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.